Welcome everybody to Generation Edge. Uh, today, Daryl, yeah, if you want to take it over. Say, today we have uh, our famous guests, the Red Door guys, Brian and Greg. They're here to kind of give us a breakdown on how partnerships work because they've seemed to manage to be partners for quite some time. And a lot of people always ask, how do you become a partner and what do you bring to the table? What do you bring to the table? So now they're going to kind of explain everything to us. Yeah. So if you guys want to start with just how did you guys even meet each other and, and yeah. get into real estate from there? Because I don't know your back. We don't know your backgrounds too much. So if you want to explain a little bit about that and how you came to know each other, if it was through college or whatever. Well, I'm going to let him explain all that. But I will say that we got along a lot better when we first met each other than we do today. See, I was going to say the opposite. Oh, okay. <laughs> We've ever gotten along, and I'm just grateful for every moment of it. <laughs> All right, so you were so. doing online dating, and uh, <laughs> you swiped right. Brian <laughs> <laughs> said yes. In the early 1900s, that's right. Well, we were we were innovators back then. This was before right. real on people doing online right. dating. We made it a thing. Well, you, I was in the conscious. So, let's be serious. All right, back before uh, some of you guys were born in 1994, Greg and I went to a uh, local school here at VCU in the Richmond area, and we were both business majors. We were taking an accounting class together, happened to sit in, right near each other, started talking, got to know each other pretty quickly. We just had some things in common. And we ended up both in, the, in fraternities that were about five houses down from each other. And so and our fraternities ended up being like kind of best friend fraternities. We would hang out a lot. We were almost like co-fraternities because we had so many mutual friends. So we just became, you know, very fast friends um, and really quickly knew that we both wanted to be entrepreneurs. Okay. Like we just had that passion. And it was weird because we'd ask all our friends who were into all the partying and having fun, which we were into as well. But we just had that in common. They're just all like, hey, I'm just gonna, I'll figure that out and I'll get a job. And we're like, we just don't wanna go get a job. <laughs> and so we both graduated and what would you guess the first thing we both did? Sales. We both got a job. <laughs> <laughs> Sales job. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm not that smart. He's way smarter than me and you'll figure that out in a minute. But uh, so we ended up, it's, it's a weird story. We ended up working for a, a, a car retailer, a local car retailer. Oh, okay. We got hired on the exact same day together. And we worked there for seven years, oh. and we ended up getting, we gave our notice the same day and left the same day together. So we did the exact wow. same job. Yeah. We we, uh, we lived five houses down from each other in our personal lives. We had three kids, two, two girls, girls and a boy. boy. Both the same. Both the same. Two all girls. Like within a year of each other. Yeah. All of them. Same, same order, all within the same age. So oh, wow. a lot really of people kidding. joke we had parallel lives. Yeah. yeah. That's what do you think to that? Well, just going back about the part where you said we were both business majors, I was majoring in uh, beer and women, but mm -hmm. you were majoring in business. It <laughs> <laughs> served you well. It served you very well. Well, you did it's get a lot of the ladies. I'll give you that. <laughs> and you were also a big man on campus. But we're trying to focus on... <laughs> this, is, this is generation hustle, okay? We're talking about business, not women. Okay? It's something different. Okay? And what college was that you guys went to? VCU. 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 All right. yeah. Go Rams. All right. Yeah. Me too. Go Rams. <laughs> 20 years later yeah. so you guys worked with the car dealership together for seven whole years doing yeah. sales there or what well, were you doing there 
we didn't do a whole lot. We 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 played. Uh, we threw the ball and and hit it, like, <laughs> take, take bats and stuff like that. A lot of parties. Yeah. yeah. We all hung out. Uh, it was a pretty good time. So when you did that, when you put in your whatever two weeks to quit, you got did you guys like talk and say, hey, I'm gonna put in my two weeks, and you're like, I'm gonna do it too. Yeah. yeah. We worked that out for a long time. Um, it was it was a matter of you know a, a deal flow. And um, getting credit lines and thinking that we had everything all set up. Yeah. yeah and nice. um, but that's a, that's a whole nother story. But uh, but the interesting part is we we thought we were going to be good guys and we gave them I think a thirty day notice. But within you know five minutes they were walking us out and we had all of our stuff packed and we had to leave after seven. Uh, but I say seven and a half years. Escorted so. us to our cars. No, Correct. Mm. And. You were already talking about real estate together prior to leaving the job? Well, we had already been, we partnered up and started doing um, rehabs and stuff like that. Um, I guess it was like about nine months, right? Yeah, but we had only done months. a few deals. And well, we, we hadn't had, actually sold any. Yeah. We just, we just bought them. I think we might have sold and one. And in our mind, we were insanely successful. We had it all figured out. Yeah. And we both had our first kids by then. And we weren't making a lot of money at our jobs. And we were spending money in marketing and seminars and stuff by this point. So we were starting to get in debt before we even made a check in real estate. But we knew we were good enough to tell our boss to take a walk. Yeah. And uh, in retrospect, that was really stupid. Well, you said we weren't making a lot of money in our jobs. For most people, we were making pretty good money. Okay. For most people. Okay. So, I mean, I felt like at the time that we were giving up something um, that was, you know, paying our bills. We had nice cars. We could drive whatever we wanted. I hear we had insurance and benefits and all the other stuff that most people think yeah. is, is good money. Yeah, that's a good point. So, so now what made y'all choose real estate? Y'all are working at the car dealership. What had, who had the bright idea to say, hey, let's go into real estate? That was him. That was him. <laughs> which was a great, which was a great thing. And he had been, you'd actually gotten a few deals done prior to us. Um, I wouldn't say hooking up. But that's a whole other interesting story in and of itself about your your few deals that you did. You had to uh, get go to the jailhouse to get your partner to sign your documents and things like that to convey nice. deeds. Yeah, so, my first mentor went to jail. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Uh, and he had and he had he was partnered on deals, so he had to get yeah. his signature. He was my trustee. No kidding. So he had to go down to the jail to get him to sign documents. <laughs> <laughs> he was his trustee. <laughs> Not only that, but he, he called me for a loan to bail him out of jail. <laughs> and he was his mentor. Isn't that right? <laughs> and he, he's the one, I think the first deal we ever did together is, yeah. is the deal that he assigned to us. Yes, correct. Yeah. Nice. From jail. So now when you were first getting started, were you wholesaling? Is why you had to get him to sign or was that... Uh, it was it was two it was two deals that that I had bought that I was doing short sales on, nice. so we were short selling the second. It's a great way to learn in real estate, right? Your two first yeah. deals they were subject to first Ooh. short selling the second with and a guy, guy, guy in jail. jail, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it was. Yeah. I mean, if you want to go all in, just go all in, right? Yeah, like yeah. figure Absolutely. it out. So yeah, that was those those were two interesting deals, but um, I was gonna I was gonna rehab them. I think I ended up wholesaling them though, just because. <laughs> nice. Needed some money and we got a good deal on them and it, was, it worked out. How long before you actually executed your first deal with mentors, with trainings, with seminars? How long did it take before you got? So for anybody that's like trying to figure it out and trying to break through, how long did it take you to get through to your first one? 
So I, it was probably about two to three months of me. This is back, and again, this will shock the, the young crowd like you guys, no but internet. there used to be newspaper ads. You put nice. a newspaper in that we buy, an ad that said we buy houses. So that's how I did it. I took calls for two or three months before I got those two deals. And um, so, and again, he wasn't a great mentor. Like honestly, the real estate training, part of his mentorship package was you give me, it was a thousand dollars. I think you give him a thousand dollars and I'm gonna copy Ron LeGrand's cash flow course. And he gave <laughs> us Ron LeGrand's cash flow course, which of course I burned and gave to Greg. Right. And so, um, we're, but I listened to that, and Greg did too, listen to that every night. I mean, just for hours, just so we knew that, like we almost memorized this, it was probably 36 CDs or something. It was like, cause three different courses, it's a lot of information, but it was great. I mean, when we listened to that, it just, it just lit up our minds. We're like, oh, yeah. it's another world. Like well, we had no idea. And the funny thing is, is, Brian had kept telling me that, hey man, you need to learn, you need to get into this uh, real estate investing thing with me. And I, I guess I was just busy doing other things, having fun or whatever it was. I wasn't committed to doing something and Brian was very committed to it, which is great. Um, but he, uh, he, he gave me these CDs and I was on my way to go to uh, Atlantic City to go gamble and hang out with a friend of mine for his bachelor party or something. And on the way to Atlantic City, I was listening to these CDs for the first time. And, 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 and I was just blown away. I literally, when I got to Atlantic City, I didn't even want to get out of the car and, and go have fun because I was enjoying you know, the CDs and listening to everything. And then I couldn't wait to be done for my weekend of, of Atlantic City and get back in the car and listen to them again on the way back home. That's and when I got back, I called him, I'm like, holy crap, is this stuff like, is this stuff legal? You know, I'm thinking the jailbird is the one that gave him these CDs, right? <laughs> I'm like, you can really like get a house under contract for, you know, 20 grand and wholesale it and make, you know, sell for 40 and make another 20 and, and not have to come up with any money. Yeah. I didn't, and, and you can, people will like literally give you their house and you can take over the, the loan and leave it in their name. I literally, the reason I'm late for this meet, for this podcast today is because I got a, con a call from a, a subject to seller and I wrote the contract real fast before I left to come here. Um, <laughs> That's a good reason it, to be late. And it is. And, and they, yeah. they've got a, a 20 year loan, like three and seven eighths interest. Uh, and it's in, you know, they're not behind on payments or anything, but it's just crazy that people will just sign over a house to you and leave the loan in their name. Yep. Anyway, I, I, it was yeah. hard for me to believe it was true, but when I got back, I was so excited. <laughs> And, you know, I guess it kind of helped, helped Brian, uh, I don't know, it, it, it was a, it was a really cool thing. I want to tell one quick add on to that story. So years later, it was always funny to me that we learned, we never went to a Ron LeGrand seminar until many, many, many years later. And we'd done all these deals off of his information. So we got to speak at this event that Ron was speaking at. And so in my speech, I had to say, or I didn't have to, but I wanted to say, by the way, we got started in a bunch of deals by getting your CDs ripped for free. <laughs> he was using us as testimonials and all this stuff in there. Yeah. He was fine with it, but it was funny. Yeah. And what's also funny is that first deal that you did, do we, did we buy that back just recently? Like, no, it was like a couple houses down on Orca. Are you yeah. sure? No, Hopkins, didn't you do oh, Hopkins. Yeah, I thought you were talking about the one on Orca. Okay. So, the Nobody one cares about the streets. Well, we've like, known Hopkins for a while now, but yeah. didn't you, wasn't that your first deal or second deal yeah, or something? Yeah. I mean, you probably shouldn't be giving addresses on here, but yeah. Well, we're not giving the address, but yeah. it, it, it's a house that we either own or just sold in the last couple of years. That was Hopkins. my very first deal that I did a short sale, subject to nice. a short sale on, bought it, and then this is like, I don't know, 
19, no, 18 years later, 19 years yeah. later, we oh. bought it back again and we now we own it as a corporate rental. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Was <laughs> it just on the market and you just bought it? <laughs> Might have been a foreclosure. That's probably a foreclosure. Oh, okay. But so we bought a deal. What was weird about that is we bought, and it probably doesn't matter about this, but we bought the house next door to it. And, and that was probably a foreclosure as well. And then we ended up buying this house maybe a year later or something. So we had owned two houses side by side. And one of them was the one that he had sold, bought as like his first or second yeah. deal from 18 years before that. <laughs> That's cool. So That's that pretty cool. neat. I'm curious, what did you sell it for 18 years ago? And what did you buy it back was, for? Man, I think we <laughs> sold it for somewhere around like 75 grand, something like that. We might like have bought that. it back for 40 or something. Oh, less. I, I'm sure it was less. This is when things were cheaper though. This isn't yeah. today's prices. Oh, right? so, okay. We rented it out for several years, then we turned it Actually, it's probably worth a lot more than two. It's probably worth 220 or something now. Nice. That's cool. So uh, how long great. So how long ago did you quit? <clears throat> how long did you quit your corporate job? Early 2000. So we did our first deal together in 2003. We quit our retail cars jobs in 2004, and we've been full-time ever since 2004. Okay. Cool. So and going on 18 years. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And every, ever since you bought that first one together, do you guys only partner with each other or do you guys still dabble on your own if you find like a good deal? I'd say up until the last two years or something like that, everything was just the two of us, right? Yeah. I mean, I was, Unless you were out cheating on me and I didn't know about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I heard you were cheating on me, so I had to right. get you back. No, we, we've done a few things in the last... I don't know, two, three years or whatever yeah. that, you know, weren't with, aren't with each other or whatever, but our everyday business is our partnership. Everything's 50-50. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. So now most of y'all's rentals and everything are owned 50-50 as well? Correct. That's cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So. so you first got started, you bought the subject too, and you, and you wholesaled your first deal together? Is that how it got that started? That was my deal when we talked about before, yeah. before, before, before you guys. Anything. Yeah. Yeah, so our first deal that we did together was from the jailbird who, um, and Brian was like, all right, so the jailbird's got, he didn't say my mentor, whatever the guy's name was, uh, we're not going to say. And uh, he said, hey, I, you know, I've got this deal and, um, you know, he's going to sell it to us. We've got to make a decision right away. And if you don't want to do it, I'll do it. I'll do it without you. I'm like, well, I'll so I think we had taken a quick look at it or whatever. And, and it's funny though, because, and Brian was right the whole time, which I'll go ahead and give him that. But I thought that when, when you, in real estate investing, you, you wanted to be in like really nice areas and you know it, it, going in some of the areas that we go into and you i know you you're in we've sold you a yeah. couple of properties in a rough area um at that time i was like i'm not going in that area yeah. you know um but it turned and he was like well you if you think you're going to go do a bunch of deals over in the west end in perfect neighborhoods then you know this isn't the right business for you and i'm like I'm like okay so we ended up uh accepting an assignment of that contract so i think he had it under contract for maybe 10 and we're buying it for 20. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's crazy though, but the house was a burnout, you know? And, and of course that was my first deal. And he had already been, been obviously into a few deals at that point. And um, when I looked at it, I was like, oh, this is crazy, you know? But I was like, all right, I'll, I'll go along with it. I'll, I'll trust in the, in the process. And so we got it under contract 
and the contractors that we had brought out there during our little due diligence period, you know, they had said it might cost 35,000 to renovate or whatever. Well, once we close on it and then you go back and you get them to do the deal, then they're like, you know, 65,000. And I'm like, well, wait, we're only going to make 25,000 on this deal to begin with. So that's not going to work. So we thought, okay, well, we screwed up, we made a mistake, but that's all right. We're going to learn from it. So we put it on the market <laughs> with a real estate agent. And I remember meeting her that, I, I mean, I remember the night we went to her office and she was like, and that was basically what I told her, like, Hey, we really screwed up and we're going to go ahead and take our loss on this. She's like, why are you going to take a loss on it? I'm like, cause it's just not worth it. You know, we can't get it fixed for any, you know, any less or whatever. She goes, Oh no, you're not going to lose money on this. She's like, we'll put this thing out. She's like, I even get, probably got a buyer for it right now. So <laughs> she said, we'll put it on the market for X amount of dollars. And we left there and I, I felt a little bit encouraged, but I remember being kind of pessimistic like I am a lot. Um, and, but I think the next day, the very next day, she had a contract to sell it for enough that would end up netting us. I think it was like $3,200. Yeah, I was going to say 3,800. It was, it was right around that. And we thought that was all the money in the world. I was prepared to lose five or 10,000. Yeah, yeah, but it was also, I mean, it was like, uh, it was a little bit of a reality come true, right? Like, Hey, you can screw up and still make money in this business. And it was a good size check at the time. We're like, right. man, we got this figured out. But what's interesting about it is one guy got another contract for 10,000, wholesaled it for 20,000 on an assignment, and then we put it on the market and sold it and netted over $3,000 on it. And you still you paid know, agents, you paid, paid right? real through two yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a bunch of fees in there too. It's still yeah. Closing still costs out. on both yeah. sides. And you didn't do anything to it? Any work at all? Nothing. Wow. wow. <laughs> now I know that doesn't sound like a big bunch of money or anything, yeah. but it, it's an interesting story for your first deal. Yeah. yeah. And everybody made money. Exactly. <laughs> the wholesalers, you guys, the realtors, the whole nine. Well, I think it turned out also that there was an extra lot that went with it, and at that time we didn't really understand what it was like to, you know, what you would do in that scenario or even to recognize it. Yeah. But the guy that bought it, I think, made it <clears> put it off. <clears throat> now, for at that point, you guys. It was striking, striking gold, right? Four thousand. Right? It was amazing. But, but um, you guys had a decision immediately after that of like, we can then continue to partner, which you obviously did, and eventually turn into the Red Door guys, right? Or like, go your separate ways, have your skill sets. Why not that? And why did you choose continuing to work together fully? Were you guys working independently, like at the beginning, and then he was. a couple of years? He was. He was. Uh, for a little bit, but I, he got me into it and we just started doing it together. So, you know, we really didn't have a big conversation about, you know, who's going to do what and yeah. what percentage it was just 50, 50 and we were just going to go figure it out. And, um, you know, we were, we were good friends. And again, like he said, we were lived, we lived five doors away from each other. Our, <laughs> his wife, my wife hung out. We were, we were always together and, um, and doing stuff. So, we had done some unsuccessful business ventures before that where we just kind of planned and assumed we were going to be in business and we just didn't right. know what. So we had all these different things that kept not working. And then we found real estate and had some success. And we're like, oh, yeah, this is it. This is where we want to be. And of course, we'll do it together. It wasn't even nice. that much of a discussion. I think it was just an yeah. assumption. Yeah. 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 And that, with me, nobody else. <laughs> I, I was going to ask that too because usually don't, you don't just start like jump yeah. into real estate and you just, I mean, everybody has a bone in their body. If you're an entrepreneur, everybody has a bone in their body where they tried a few things. I mean, I, I in elementary school like shaved crayons and melted them in like the shapes <laughs> of whatever, and then sold those. And like, I mean, everybody has like a bone in their body where they try to make some sort of money, and that's where they eventually lead up, right? 
So like, what are some of these other ventures? What are some of these other interesting ones? Because you guys are now doing beyond real estate, you guys are doing other interesting ventures, which we'll get into. But what were your kind of like precursor, pre-real estate ventures? One of them, of course, was everybody starts off in multi-level marketing, right? Like it's a pretty popular thing. And yeah. so we did multi-level marketing for several years. We thought that was the big thing at the time. You know, this is how we're going to get rich. We had a local mentor who was super successful in the company and he really, he really mentored us and we thought we were going to crush it. Um, made a little bit of money. Greg made, did okay for college money. It's probably a lot of money, yeah. really. Um, and so that didn't pan out. Our next venture that I can remember that was our next big adventure was we were going to open up a car lot, right? So we're, we bought yeah. cars for this car company. We figured out we knew how to get good deals on cars. And so we're just going to open this car lot and sell like a little buy here, pay here lot. And we had a, a friend of ours who knew, I'm going to say a bad word here in a second, a Washington Redskin, because they were the actual Washington Redskins. <laughs> so a Washington Redskin friend of a friend was going to back us financially and give us several hundred thousand dollars and be our backer. And um, we had a place picked out. We we're getting ready to sign a lease. And that's right when he got hurt and he, he pulled the plug on the money and there went our genius idea of having a car lot. We might not be here today. Who, who was it? Joe Patton. Okay. Nice. He was a left tackle for the Redskins. Okay. Starting left tackle. And it was going to be Patton Motors. We had, a, I think we even right. bought the LLC and we had it yeah. ready to go. We were, oh, we were nice. ready to sign the lease. Yeah, that's cool. Yep. Yeah. Was there anybody in the family that was already doing real estate before you guys jumped into it? Or was it like a new concept, mentor, CDs, and I just drove the whole thing? Yeah, I don't think you did. Uh, I know I did. Well, we read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? I mean, that, that was kind of a. No one does person. that. I don't think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where's the. You have a good book. I, 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 I. You ever read, read that? He's never yeah. heard of me. Tell him about it. Yeah. He wants to learn. He's messing with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to do quick on, um, I had a quick question about your first deal together. How, how did you guys create an LLC or did you guys kind of just jump in together and just split it on your personal names? 50, 50, I'm sure it was in our names. Yeah, I think that was in our yeah. yeah. And then right after then that, we started, started with an investment group or something like oh, yeah, that. Yeah, we did some land trust and a few things, too. <laughs> okay, I'm just curious. For people wanting to start, like, yeah. how, I guess the question I was getting at, is it that important? I think, it's, I think it's real important to do, but I wouldn't not do a deal because I couldn't get that set up. But, I mean, I think you do need to be careful. And one of the reasons is because of the dealer status. So yeah. if you buy and sell a property in your own personal name, that you don't want the IRS to see you as a dealer or else everything you do from that point forward that flows to you, at least that's my understanding, could end up being flagged as a dealer status and you end up paying more taxes on things that you shouldn't, gotcha. like long-term yeah. capital gains and stuff like that. Nice. <clears throat> so, yeah. you're, and so speaking of that, then you probably would, one of the things we do is we have a lot of entities, but we have certain entities that are there just for flipping yeah. certain entities that are there just for holding okay. just to keep that from happening to our holding companies yeah mm -hmm. so you're keeping your llc separate when from your holding to your okay yeah, nice. yeah that's smart now, if i could ask um if you had to point out and each one of you could answer with one if you had to point out two of the strengths that have made you a stronger partnership or two our personality traits it could be, just be temperament it could be anything um two things that have made you guys have a good, strong partnership? Well, I'd say the, uh, the, the one underlying thing is just a trust factor. So we, we both, well, I shouldn't speak for him, but I, I believe that we both fully trust each other with everything. 
And so when you when you have that kind of trust, you don't have to ever, you know, worry about what something might, you know, mm. something somebody would do to you or something that would happen. Um, I think that's a, a, a major thing. I think another thing is to have different skill sets so that you're not both trying to do the same thing. Um, because at some point people may feel, you may feel one, one person might feel like it's, you know, it's not necessary to have even a partnership. Um, so in our case, we have some similar skills that are, that, that we share, but also we, we have some things that are different from each other. Yeah. What would you say? I would say probably, um, loyalty too, which is similar to trust, but it's a little different. So like, I just always knew that he had my back that we weren't going anywhere, that it was both of us in it till the very end. Yeah. And that, that gives you a little extra fight and gumption when, you know, if you're out on an island, which, you know, most investors are, they don't have that partner to lean on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just knowing that they've got your back, that you're always with them. If things go down, you know, you have a bad day, bad week, bad mindset about something, they're gonna be there to help support you. That's yeah. important to me. I'd say the second <clears throat> is goals too. So like having, being aligned in what your goals are, um, short and long term, as long as you have those aligned, you, you have a much better chance of being successful. Right. And yeah. we've kind of always had that mindset, like we're going to go after it, we'll figure it out yeah. and we're going to go out and we're going to do it bigger. Like a lot of times when we didn't have success, um, and Greg might tell a story, might come up, it might not, but um, it was a really painful point in our career early on when we had a little bit of success and then it fell off because the market changed. Yeah. And when it happened, it was one of those almost breaking points where you say, hey, are we, are we done? Or we can just say, you know, our, our, our whole head is in this to be successful. Let's just change our strategy. We're going to change our strategy and double things. Most people would quit. And mm -hmm. I, you know, my, my thought process is the opposite. We're, like, we're going in harder. Yeah. And because that's not what the other people are going to do. And I yeah. think if you have that same mentality, that those same goals, most people don't, then you can have success. Yeah. And, and the way you would, uh, for someone who's not partnered with somebody, you, you basically need to have that, you know, never quit you know, attitude and um, you just got to find a way to make it happen. And so never quitting. Now, I almost quit a couple times. And and the main thing that Brian was bringing up, one example was, I think it was in probably roughly 2008, 2009. I was going to say seven. So I don't remember if it was after the credit crisis or before. Probably before. Yeah, it's before. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, we had gone through some some tough situations. We made some really poor decisions in our business, um, and we weren't making any money. Yet I was spending money maybe faster than I had ever spent money because I thought we were literally making money, but we were actually losing money or not making much money, I should say. And um, you know, I got to a point where it was just like, you know, I was tapped out on all my credit lines, my personal, my I had. Uh, taking out like a $125,000 line of credit on my house. And that was tapped out. All my credit cards were tapped out. I had car loans. I mean, I was just at a point where I was, uh, you know, it was just poor decisions all the way around. And I felt like I just had to, I had to do something different. And so when we, when we talked about it and I was pretty emotional uh, at the time and, you know, in my mind, it was like, okay, you know, I'm done. And Brian was like, well, what if we just, uh, I don't remember the details of it, but the, the main thing was like, you know, what if we just increased our marketing enough to get more deals, enough deals so that we can get out of this mess and, you know, and make it, you know, and I was like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. 
So <laughs> by the end of the by the end of the phone call, I went from uh, being emotional and crying and basically thinking I'm filing bankruptcy and quitting and going back to a job, which I didn't want to do. Um, then it was like you know smiles and we're gonna you know light up the world and and that's what we did. So we just went from doing. <laughs> You know, I think we did like four times the amount of marketing. Or yeah, something. I think we were doing wow. one or two deals a month, and we're like, we need to do four deals a month yeah. to sustain our overhead. We had a really high overhead. We had staff. We had a ton of direct mail going out. It was, yeah. it was ten. I'd say it was like fifteen to twenty grand a month was our overhead, Ooh. just because we were spending a ton of money and all this stuff. It's crazy. Yeah. Now, is that because y'all were having so much success from 2004 to 2007? That well, the market had changed dramatically, yeah. So from, okay. from, uh, from 2004 to 2006 and a half or something like that, the market around here was was similar to what you've seen over the last couple of years. Maybe not quite as hot, but yeah. it was hot. And you know there were certain areas where we were renovating houses in, like Churchill and Highland Park, and it was like those were the first ones to go. So okay, when the market wow. started changing, it was the areas that we were working in that just like, it was, just, it was like a turn the faucet off and it was, we were done. And, and I think it was a somewhat of a similar situation to what we're getting ready to go through. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Where things were really we're heated, they were superheated. In yeah. 2007, we saw it happening. We weren't smart enough to know 2008 was going to happen. I'm yeah. sure it was really hard to predict, but we knew something was going on. Right. So sellers weren't like calling as much. They were still wanting really high numbers, but we knew the market had cooled, retail numbers had cooled, yeah. there weren't as many investors buying their wholesale deals. So it's just hard, to, it was a really hard environment to make money. Mm -hmm. And so we just knew something was different. And so at that at that time, we just like, we're, we're going all in, we'll double down. And then not too long after that is when we changed our strategy and we went to the uh, ultimate strategy seminar in, where was it, Dallas or Atlanta? It was Dallas. Dallas. And uh, that was literally the week that the credit crisis had happened. I don't know if y'all were y'all even born then. Two thousand eight. I don't remember it. <laughs> but we, I mean, so y'all were at an age where maybe you weren't really paying attention to that. Yeah. But we were at this seminar in Dallas, and all day, every day, we were we were basically, you know, learning about something that was going to be what was going to be. To that, what was going to help us be super successful over the next couple of years. And we didn't really realize it, although we were excited about it. But every day, we would either go back to our room real quick to you know grab something at lunchtime, and you're watching the, the stock market was going down. I mean, at those days, it was like five or 600 points a day. It was like every day for a week or whatever. Um, but it, that's all you would see, so it was pretty crazy. But that was... That was what we were learning at that point was to do seller financing and also putting it with a twist of doing um, uh, substitution collateral. So maybe we'll share a deal if you want to do it now. We can do that and we'll just kind of walk through what happened with one of those deals because it was a pretty big deal. Sure, sure. Yeah, please. And what year was it? Probably 08, 2009. So, so, so right there, while, while it was going down. Yeah, what because it. But because he said, so what happened was people still wanted their price, right? So let's say their price was 100, right? But the market was going down and investors weren't necessarily paying 100. Yeah. I know we weren't, but we were, I, I, the offer that we made to these people was, we'll give you, let's say 70,000 all cash, or we'll give you $100,000 over the next 
I think, let's say 20 years, mm -hmm. okay? Yep. And we'll give you like $5,000 down, you'll hold a note back for 95,000, and we'll pay it $300 a month, all towards what we owe, so no interest <laughs> for 20 years, okay? And you're gonna go in second position, which in their case, I think was third, um, but let's just say it's second position, and, and that allowed us to be able to put a first mortgage in, in position in case we wanted to renovate it. And then they hold back a second for 95,000 for $300 a month. Nice. Uh, and then we could substitute it later if we chose to onto another property with equal or higher equity, right? Hmm. So what we realized was that, you know, I probably end up not giving them, we were able to find a buyer who was willing to pay, I think, $125,000 for the house, all cash. Mm -hmm. So we wholesaled it and we netted about, you know, I don't know what it was, but let's say $20,000 in profit on the sale. Yeah. But we didn't have to pay the, the $95,000 back at the sale. So we were able to walk with over $100,000 in cash. And then we, we substituted the mortgage onto another property that we owned and we paid, continued to pay them the, the money and they were secured. I mean, it was all, it's all legal and we pay them. We were continuing to pay them until a few years ago, which is another great thing about uh, seller financing uh, is that, you know, later on, a lot of times um, they'll either, their circumstances will change and they want money fast right away or they pass away and then their heirs want money fast right away. And so you kind of have to re-educate them. Remember when we made the first deal, it was less money for cash and it was more money for the long 20 year deal. Yeah. yeah. And um, so in that deal, I think they came back and they, they needed their money real bad. And we're like, well, we'd much rather just pay you over 20 years like we agreed upon, but we'll we'll make you an all cash offer. And we made them a cash offer that, just that worked for them, it was much lower, they nice. made them happy. And it was also something that was a good deal for us. Yeah, because yeah. paying it off been, wouldn't have been beneficial for y'all because it was interest free. Right. I mean, yeah. why would yeah, you yeah. want to pay that exactly. off? Let's just keep riding this thing out for as long as possible. That's years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the good thing is, here's a bit of, what's important about it is, is, is we were we were giving them a, a fair deal, what I believe was a fair deal at the time, yeah. that you can, if you want cash, we'll give you the cash now. It's this, this is what a cash offer is. If you want your price, which we're not willing to pay cash for your price, but if that's you're stuck on that and you're okay with waiting for it, then we'll pay you that over a long period of time. Yeah. And so that's the way it works. Uh, so basically substitution of collateral is what the name of it would be, I guess. Um, I had a couple questions on that. So when you went and sold that property or wholesaled it, did you have to have another property lined up like right then and there to move those funds to for the first deed or yeah. their funds or yeah. could you like stalemate it for like two months until you, you probably could property? stalemate you could probably find somebody that would let you hold it in escrow so long as the seller was or the lender in that case was w willing to do that okay um but yeah i would think that would work if you told the lender hey i don't have anything to substitute it to can we leave this money in, in escrow at the title company or the closing company until we find a property i would assume they would go go along with it and if your documents say that already which ours probably don't but if it does then it wouldn't be their choice anyway it would be what you agreed on and what's in the collateral substitution of collateral agreement 
Wow. Brian, write that down. We need to get that in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I want to say, I mean, I, I think we're hijacking your uh, podcast here, but the real crux of, I think, what Greg maybe even initially started going into why this is so important is because we were pivoting during a market shift. We knew yes, the market yeah, was shifting. Yeah. Traditional ways that we had learned mm-hmm. were not working. So we took a new strategy. In that deal, he just said, you could you could buy it for 70000 but sellers weren't selling for seventy. So we'll give you your price. You give us your, our terms. With that, we were able to sell it with no money out of our pocket, be able to make a profit on a deal that we wouldn't have been able to do yeah. and take that money and survive. And that's how we got through. And if we hadn't had those deals, I'm fairly confident we wouldn't have been able to survive because he and I were both in debt, um, barely making it at that time. Even though we had a high gross, we were killing it gross-wise, our net was nothing. Wow. And again, living off of debt. And so that got us through that really tough time from – Wait until 2009 10, and then we reinvented ourselves again. So yeah. that was the one I think the important part. one stupid thing we did though that kind of helped get us into this situation. There were a lot of things we did, a lot of stupid things, by the way. We still do, <laughs> we still do, yeah. But fortunately, I hope we don't make the same mistakes that we made back then. One of the things we were doing was lending to people who were in foreclosure, thinking that they were going to be able to get a loan and get out of it and pay us back. And we, I mean, that was part of the money that we took out equity lines on our houses that we would he and i would both put in 50 percent of the money into our business and then lend it to people that don't pay their bills don't do that and then they would file bankruptcy on us and we never saw hardly any of it wow all right so that was one thing we did and that was just a stupid thing that most investors don't do so you know um damn there was another thing that that i was going to say I so now what it. made what made y'all give them loans in a way before they went to bankruptcy? They were idiots. Okay, um, they were just like, hey, if you give us this, then we'll... We, again, I, it's kind of started for, we were trying to take advantage of what in the market. We, foreclosures had started just going through the roof at that time. Yeah, so like yeah. we're seeing all these deals, people still didn't want to sell or couldn't sell, they didn't have equity, but we and, and they always wanted to stay because we tried to yeah. go buy it and they're like, okay, you can buy my house, but I'm not leaving. And we're like, well, we can't do that. Yeah. So we'd be like, hey, we'll lend to you. You get out of the situation, either refi or move out and we'll get the house. Well, people really forget about agreements really Uh, quickly. Like if you've ever heard the expression, like always plan for your divorce when you're in love, (laughs) you got to prepare on those deals too, because they forget really quickly. You get the money, you stop their foreclosure. You think you have a plan and then they go and try to sue you because you did the wrong thing. Everybody knew what was going on. We didn't deceive anybody. It's very clear. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you were on the first deal, you paid it off their loan, and you were now in the first deal. We were reinstating their loan, so that uh, okay. loan was still in place. Okay. But, but we were we were doing a subject two deal. Yeah. But you had to stop the sale, because sometimes these sales would be in a week. They'd call you and yeah. be like, oh, yeah, by the way, next Wednesday, it's going to foreclosure, and it's $15,000 to catch up the mortgage because they haven't paid in a year. Uh, and so you've got to stop that sale, or it's going to go to foreclosure. So. Yeah, yeah. So you pay the fifteen grand, and then they just catch ghost them you. Up. Yeah, just catch them up, and then totally. Yeah, so we like, have some. We, we don't have time to go into yeah, some yeah. of the stories, but it was some. Then a year later, they time. foreclose, and you get nothing. You're just trying to be nice guys, and a lot of negative <laughs> energy. Like that, that's just like a piece of advice. Like trying to stay away from negative energy. It'll, yeah. it'll serve you better in the long run. Yeah. Even if there's dollar signs there, it usually doesn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. So now going back to that, what we're coming up to over the next couple years. That's probably a good strategy to start circling back around because it's not going to be like it is today to where it's so hot people are selling their house for 30000 over asking. You're going to have to start to get creative over the next couple of years and kind of reverse back to when it was 07, 08, 09. Yeah. 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 
the foreclosure. You're not talking about the foreclosure not strategy. Foreclosure, <laughs> yeah, yeah, not that necessarily. So it's going to yeah, be the substitution. Subject, it's subject, subject to deals. It'll be that, like or just what, like Greg said on the deal he was signing before he came to Odor. There's a lot of mortgages yes. sub four percent. Even you're going to find sub sub three percent. Yeah. Especially yeah. fifteen year mortgages. Mm-hmm. If you can get a sub three percent loan, yeah. Subject to, and and you don't even need that much equity. Mm-hmm. If you're going to keep it as a rental, mm-hmm. exactly. you know. And you don't have to, especially you don't have to catch it up, but like, I mean, what is that worth? What's yeah, that loan yeah. worth? You can't go get that loan as an investor today. Yeah. You may never be able to get that loan again. I don't know. Exactly. So for the record, I didn't get that signed. I just sent it over. Right so now we're just right. making up stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the queue though. Yeah. Just I can see where they viewed the contract. They just haven't signed it. <laughs> so it's done. They just checked it to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, at that point, did you guys, because you were saying that those, that that money that you guys were collecting, right, uh, for the subject to collateral, did you guys have any rentals? Because you did have Not many. Not many, yeah, probably okay. five to ten or something, something like, that. like that. Yeah. Okay, but this additional creative way of, of bringing in some money helped. Yeah, and it's important money. in that scenario to uh, have the seller, seller be in second position. And so, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's not in order to put them in a risky position. It's just to make, it's the mechanics of making a deal work. You know, They want their price and we're trying to find a way to give them their price. So we make them an offer. They're happy with it. Okay. And now we just need to make it work. And the way we need to make, we can't get a, a private lender to go in second position behind a 100% first, right? Yeah. 100% LTV first. Yeah. So you've got to get the seller who wants the 100% <laughs> price to go in second position behind the private lender and the private lender's money is is you shouldn't be using it to go out and buy Corvettes and boats and Lamborghinis like Brian does you need to use it <laughs> you need to use it to uh, to make the deal work to pay for the you know closing costs or down payment money uh, and repair money you know yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. nice um, I wanted to talk about something because you guys mentioned that you're seeing a lot of similarities to 2007 um, in this market today. And we don't get to talk to many people that have actually been through 2007. So you're saying we're old as shit. (laughs) I'm saying you started young. You started. (laughs) And um, so in 2007, I mean, a lot of people today are pretty, like a lot of investors are a little worried to buy, a little worried about the future of the market, especially in our circles and people on YouTube, whatever. Um, were you seeing that in 2007 as much as today prior to the crash people worrying about the next couple of years? Mm, well, before the 2008 crisis, yes, because the market had already slowed down dramatically before the 2008 crisis. Okay. So, like from our, what I recall was uh, late 2006, the market had peaked and, or maybe, maybe mid-2006 and then and it peaked and then in late 2006, it started realizing that things are gonna come down. And 2007 was kind of like stale and you just couldn't get anything done. Okay. And then 2008 hit and it was, it was just like Armageddon. Okay. See, I kind of disagree a little bit with that. Like, I, I don't, I think we saw it because we were, I mean, we were one of the bigger players, I'm not trying to brag at all, but we were one of the bigger investors in terms of how much marketing we're doing, how many deals we were doing. I think the average investor that does a couple deals a year, maybe five, six deals a year. I don't think they saw it. I think they got sucked into the hype mm-hmm. that I think we're in now. 
and that's extremely normal. It's, it's the same as the stock market. It's, it's the exact same thing. When you get in an environment where it feels like you're in one trend mm -hmm. and something changes, a lot of people are caught with their pants down. It, yep. just, it just happens. And I think it happened then, and I think it's going to happen now. Right. And yeah. it's just easy. It's well, and, and when you're selling properties, um, you start, you can sense a difference, right? So this time a year ago, when we put a retail house on the market, we might see 30 showings in the first few days and we'd get, you know, seven, eight, 10 offers. Yep. They're all competing and the price from, you know, goes from 300 to 330, right? Um, and then it was similar to that. I don't six, think it was a year ago, I think it was three or four months, months ago. I was about to say similar to that was yeah. like six months ago. So the early spring of this year yep. was the same way. And then when the, when the market, when they started raising interest rates, everything just started slowing down from there. Um, and so what we're seeing now is um, houses that we put on the market, we only get a handful of showings yep. and we might or might not get an offer, mm -hmm. you know, in the first week. So we've got a couple of properties right now that have been on the market for quite a while. And I'm pretty sure that they would have sold, you know, mm -hmm. very quickly with escalation clauses and things like that four months ago. Including, including a really nice new construction house across yeah. the street from this guy's house who got it under contract in six days. <laughs> For more money, less square footage. I'm not bitter. I'm just saying. No, it's just, I, I, did, I did a little bit of voodoo like before I put it on the market. Okay. Yeah. Sure, when the scorpion. Okay. Huh? I won't say. I won't say. Yeah. At a priest. <laughs> whatever it takes. But but a little bit to your, I think your initial question that I Dylan was the, the fact that if you do it right, if you buy it cheap enough and if you hold it if you hold real estate long enough you're going to be okay i can't tell you is that a year is that five years or 20 years but it, it's it's going to be fine in the long run so just don't put yourself like at risk financially where you know if, if a deal doesn't work and prices don't keep going up that you won't make it you're continuing to borrow and you're barely making it now don't put yourself in that situation and i think again if you get through this this period this lull whenever it fully happens and ends you'll be way stronger because it clears everybody out. Mm -hmm. It's gonna clear yes. It's gonna clear lenders out. It's gonna clear real estate agents out. It's gonna clear out real estate investors. It does every time. It's a normal market cycle. It's part of what has always happened. Mm -hmm. now, so if, best course, sorry. I was gonna say the same. If best course, what would you suggest to get through the tough time? Like switch strategies or keep your buy and hold and just don't sell throughout that period and wait until it comes back or? I just lay low, keep cash heavy. Buy really good deals and then just. Very good questions. I, I figured y'all were going to ask this, but um, <laughs> I think it's going to be different for everybody, and it's going to be different based on your situation, what, what what your goals are, what your ultimate plans are. Are you in it for short term gain? Are you in it for long term? Daryl, I don't know, but are you are you a buy and hold guy? Or? I am. Yeah, okay. I'm a buy and hold guy too. Okay, so I, I know all three of y'all then are buy and hold guys and you're young and, and that's your long-term strategy. So, I mean, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to just keep buying houses. Just make sure you're getting good deals on them right now. Or wholesaling. Yeah. I wouldn't, I'd stay yeah. away from Definitely. fix and flipping. And again, yeah. stay away from as much debt that you well, can. What are we doing? Fix and flipping. It's not debt. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, like, like again, I, I think of the traditional, you go out and you buy a fix and flip, you yeah. get a six month hard money loan. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming due, the house isn't selling. Mm -hmm. Hard money lender says, hey, I want my money back. You start getting penalties and huge fees, still on the market. 
Yeah. I mean, in 2008, I mean, it wouldn't be uncommon if houses lasted 90 days, 120 days, like, and no show, no showings, no offers. You have to continually lower the price. And what happens when you start lowering the price below what you owe and then the loans do? That's the kind of risk I'm saying. Do not take that risk. It's yeah, just right. not worth it. But the other thing is, though, is if you do take that risk, take it in, in moderation, especially on, on the, the types of houses that you're fixing and flipping. So don't do like uh, what you know, Brian convinced me to do recently to, 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 <laughs> to buy a house and sell it for over a million dollars. Fortunately, we found a buyer. Nice. And unfortunately, they pay a lot more than what we thought they were going more than I thought they were. Yeah, but to, to, be, to be clear, I think it was a good deal. I think it had to do with what we spent on it. That yeah. really did. Yeah. When you spend an extra hundred well, grand over your budget, it kind of throws things off. And we bought it a year ago. So, anyway. And, and right when we listed it, we listed it about two months too late. If right. we listed it too much too, too early, I think we would have gotten more than that. Yeah, well, anyway, we did very well with it. But. But the point is, is that uh, if you're going to fix and flip, fix and flip properties that you could probably, you know, rent out and, and cover what you need to cover, right? Gotcha. Um, and with the, uh, the the rental market as strong as it is right now, I mean, you know, you could probably do well with just buying rental properties right now. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you think the rental market's going to change at all coming in the next couple of years? Because I know the housing market's going to shift, but will the rental market shift with it? I don't know. I mean, I think yeah. it'll slow down. I, I don't think okay. we can sustain, because rents were almost pacing what prices did on, on, on houses. They are. I just don't think that's sustainable. And I think you'll see the same thing you see on prices on houses. You'll see the, the areas that aren't as desirable. I think you'll see rents go down. So for local, I don't know if you have any national listeners, but like in our local market, Petersburg is like a kind of a hot topic, right? Like you want yep. to buy rentals in Petersburg. I was having a conversation with an investor last night. He's really big into the Petersburg market. I mean, to get $1,300 for one of those houses in rent, where we used to, it normal was $600. Now, it's great when you can get $1,300. The cash flow is like crazy. But I don't think that's long-term sustainable. I yeah. think when you see things come down, and it's not going back to six, in my opinion. Yeah, okay. But but maybe it comes down to 1000 or something. If you were dependent upon that income, yes. that's not good. Like, I'll tell you another thing that I'd be really cautious of, and I, I, I do it out of, like, caring for other investors. When you meet a new investor, like, one of the hottest things they do is say, I'm going to do Airbnbs. <laughs> okay, <laughs> great. But the yeah. problem is, or one of the problems is, there's a few problems, but one of them is, they're based on all their numbers of buying and rehabbing the house based on the income of what they're projecting for Airbnb. Yep. Well, what happens when you don't get that income? Because right. it's not like a rental. I mean, uh -huh. over time, if you make a house nice, you're gonna be able to rent it out at a fair market price. Mm -hmm. yep. But Airbnb, how do you project that out over time? And like Airbnb, there's more and more supply coming on the market all the time. Yep. There's more and more restrictions, especially locally in the city, you're trying to place. Uh -huh. I just think that's not an area where I'd want to put all my eggs in one basket. And if you don't have the money to sustain that, I'd be very cautious of Airbnbs. Especially yeah, Airbnb. it is a sustainability thing. Cause like an Airbnb, we all have Airbnbs. <clears throat> and yeah. I mean, that's good, it's good cash flow, but it's <clears throat> it's like going on a diet, right? Like, sure, I need to lose some weight. Sure, I can cash flow more, just like for the Airbnb situation, but you're not gonna change your entire lifestyle for the rest of your life on that diet, right? Just like yeah. an Airbnb, like, are, am I really gonna have my Airbnb for 25, 30 years until I pay off my mortgage? No. No. Like, I'll probably get bored in like two more years, three more years, and then I'll be like, you know what? Regular rental, I'll sell it, whatever the case is, then I'll just get rid of it. But yeah, the sustainability thing is, is definitely not uh, yeah. viable. But taking that into consideration, 
I think a lot of people are going to pivot from Airbnb to corporate housing because it's um, it's not the same alley, but it kind of is. I mean, you're renting a furnished property, but I think you can go depending on location. Mm. Just don't location. underwrite the deal based on those numbers is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Underwrite the deal is what would you get for a rental, a long and then it's rent. fine. And if you, if you get if if normal rent is twelve hundred dollars a month, but you can get yep. twenty four hundred as a corporate rental, great. great. Yeah. Make the numbers work on twelve hundred. Yeah. Does it make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I guess the next thing that I was going to ask is um, there's a lot of people, like I mentioned earlier, that are looking for partners. They don't have the skill sets. They don't have all the skill sets because you do need several. I mean, there's like a pivotal three, I would say, whether it's money, it's skills on the construction side and an acquisition, right? Like there's usually those, those three. Um, having a partner really helps with that because like you were pointing out earlier greg like there's a balance there you can rely on each other if you're starting to like have doubts brian will come in he'll put you at ease or vice versa just kind of like advising each other right so a lot of people that are trying to get in or trying to expand their business start to look towards partnerships um what advice i don't know if you i mean it's it's hard to say right because like you guys started from scratch right. at zero yeah. so it's not like you guys after seven years of doing it on your own, like started looking into, but you kind of are now towards this tail end of the last like two years, you're starting to like do some other stuff on your own and potentially partnering other partnerships. So what advice would you have for somebody who's just getting into it? Maybe a wholesaler that's been doing it for two, three years, they've seen some good success. They might have some cash, but they're like, things are changing. And I want to be part of the change for that other side of the cycle. What advice would you have for Either a wholesaler, a new investor that's been getting into it, having some success, guys that have been doing it for a little bit, maybe have done you know, 20 deals a year and it's like really starting to see the uptick, but things are changing and are looking to partner with someone else. Like what kind of advice or what kind of things would you would you suggest to look out for? Well, I'll, I'll just say a couple things that, I, and I may have already said it earlier, but like, I, I think that if you partner some, with someone, you have to have very clear um, difference. Yeah, you have to have clear uh, skill sets. Skill sets, but um, you need to make sure that it's obvious that that's what you're each going to do. One's going to do these things, and the other's going to do these things. Um, because I think what most people do, and probably what easily could have happened with us, is that you just you're buddies and you're going into partnership with each other. And it just, it's like, it doesn't make sense because you're both just doing the same thing. Yeah. And we actually did a lot of that where we were, I remember when we first were and you know, we left our jobs, it was almost like we didn't know what to do. So we would just get in the car and ride around together and look at all of our rehabs and stuff and just waste time. Yeah. And, um, and then, and then I think it just somehow or another, I don't, I don't really think we had like a conversation that says, you're going to do this and I'm going to do this. I mean, I'm sure we did, but not not in that sit down kind of way for, for us, even today, it's like, I kind of know what I'm, I should be handling and he knows what he should be handling. And we both get most of the same emails from, from all the different people we deal with and stuff. And I'll answer those things that seem, seem to you know, be up my alley and he'll answer those things that are up his. Um, and then, and then again, I think the the trust thing is like, is, is huge. Because I think I've, I've seen a lot of people get in situations where they they just didn't they didn't have that that kind of background with somebody, 
where they, they knew that they could trust him like that. And, um, and Brian mentioned the, the loyalty thing and uh, kind of needing to make sure that you kind of have the same, same goals in mind about what you want out of it, you know? And the other, the other challenge with that is that can change over time. So one person, you know, their, their life is a little different than another person. And so over a course of 15 or 20 years or, or 10 or 20, however long it is, one person may grow and, and have a different thought process where the other one may, may not. So, um, but what would you say? Cause your thoughts are probably, I think we have a perfect partnership. You do all the work. <laughs> it's been perfect for me. <laughs> so um, a couple things, and just to tell you, I think Greg and I are the anomaly. We're not the rule. Right. right? Yeah, so yeah. very few people, that's partly why you're asking the question, why people might be interested in what makes your yeah. partnership work. Yeah. We had at least, I was thinking in my head just then, like at least four partners in different parts of our business right. early on. That's what I wanted to mention earlier. Go ahead. And, and none of them worked out. And they didn't even end yeah. that well. I mean, we, we parted sort of as friends. We actually have an ongoing situation now with, one house that we partner with with somebody who we think very highly of, but we just don't see eye to eye on this one particular deal. We've owned it for 12, 13 years now. Well, we've owned it for that long. We didn't really want to have to deal with what we're dealing with now. Yeah. And so like we kept kicking the, the can down the road. We also made some really, that's, that's probably another important thing. We made bad deals. Okay. Yeah. We, we brought in partners thinking that we were going to like teach them everything they needed to know. And then we let them run off with this piece of the business. And, they would get half of it and we would split the other half. And then the same thing with a wholesale guy that we were going to set up this wholesale division and he was going to be the guy that would run it all. We would teach him everything and mentor him. Well, who did all the work? I mean, we did almost everything and then they ended up getting 50% of all the income. So, I mean, y'all are probably wondering why we couldn't make any money back then. Well, it's because we gave half of it away to other people and then he and I split the other half. Because we had that, it, it was poor in retrospect, but we were in that ultra growth mode. We wanted to blow up in yeah. all these different areas and the only way we thought we could do it was to bring in a partner. Because employees are one challenge and partners are another challenge, but we thought partners, if they had a, if they had 50 percent sure. equity yeah, in the business, yeah, yeah. they're gonna go crush it. Yep. Well, they didn't have the same work ethic and desires and goals that we did. So again, we're the anomaly. If, if I was to give advice to people today, for one, I would say test it out. So don't say I'm giving you a 50% equity in my LLC that does everything. Yeah. Let's partner on a few deals. Let's figure out what what everybody contributes to the table, make sure that's there because like Greg said, it changes over time and you really don't know until you know. Like it's, yeah. it's a difference of like, you, until you live with someone, you may not even really know because it's just different than hanging out with your buddy. Sure. Yeah. They're a different person, right? Yeah, you get yeah. to know all their little things that, that may or may not be good for you. Yeah. So partner on a few things first. Don't go all in and commit to everything. I see that happen with a lot of people. They're like, oh, we're going in 50-50 and they haven't even done their first deal. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, that's who knows like it's because yeah. a lot of times someone will take over in that role because they have they're the aggressor they're the go-getter and the other one just kind of just lives off that other person and it's it, it causes a lot of challenges so do that and also again have them and greg sword mentioned this but have them have a major skill set that you, you know they're going to do so like we, we have some friends that are really successful partners where he handles all the new construction side and he the, the other partner didn't even think about that and the other guy handles the rental side and the, and the uh, fix and flip side. 
And they, they talk, but they really run those businesses separately and they split everything down the middle and they've been partners for 25 years and it's worked, but that's not the norm. Mm-hmm. Hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, it, does. it yeah. does. When you're going into these partnerships, do you suggest like creating an LLC as you two 50-50 owners for those deals that you do just to make sure it works and not put them in your personal oh, exactly. LLC? I wouldn't want to yeah. put my name with somebody else like that. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that can go wrong really quick for a yeah. lot of reasons, liability yeah. reasons and such. So, gotcha. You ain't pay the five hundred dollars or six hundred dollars <laughs> to get an attorney to draw it up and things like that. Wherever yeah, that is, don't just go on the legal SCC. Zoom or that that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now you're talking for the whole thing, the LLC and the operating agreement and everything. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. And then once you get one done, then you can like just take the same one and make recreate it each Re- time. Nice. Would it be too risky then to? Have like some sort of JV agreement, at least for that one deal, two deals, no. just to kind of like test that out before you set. Because like once you set up an LLC, then you're doing extra tax returns and like sure, you, start, you got a bank like, account. Yeah, you start yeah. going down this rabbit hole. Yeah, good but point. if it's just kind of like JV, one That's deal, we'll idea. figure it out. Yeah. Worked out great. We had some disagreements, but we came out on the other side okay. okay. Yeah. Cool. But don't be afraid to start. Like that, some, most of our biz, biggest successes have come from failing, and we failed way more than most people have. But I mean, again, I, I don't regret that. That's 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 awesome. Most people are afraid to fail, and I think we went after that fear. You have to go after that fear, and then as long as you learn from it, you'll be a better person from it. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say then? Um, and this was a question for later, but I think it's a perfect transition. Is your biggest? I won't call them regrets, but like opportunities that you have to learn, that you learned from that now has put you in the position to trend now? I'd say the very biggest, well, I think is the biggest one, the one that we mentioned earlier is we're, we were we were struggling and we, for some reason, we, we had this limit on how much money that we were gonna put towards marketing or how many, how many, how many direct mail pieces that we felt like needed to be put out. And we just, we were just thinking, okay, well, we're only doing two deals a month or, one and a half deals a month or whatever. And I don't know why in the world that we didn't think, okay, well, let's just quadruple it and we'll just start killing it. But um, I think that is, a, is it's just kind of like you need to, you need to, we probably didn't run the numbers enough in the beginning to say, okay, this is probably what the rate return, you know, the KPIs and all this other stuff that this is what we're going to need to do to get four or five deals a month, which is what we needed to do to make a good living at the time, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that is a, a just a good a good planning for marketing. Marketing is the biggest um, the biggest thing in, in this business is, is to be successful, is doing very good marketing. And yeah. um, I mean, do you have, what do you have to add with that? So I was gonna, it's a, it's a little offshoot of what you said, but from the very first seminar we went to, we walk in, we had no expectations. And it blew us away. It blew us away on on just the the, the entertainment value, the big stage, the energy. everything, energy, mm-hmm. the people we met. It was you, you came out of there, and everyone was positive. Everyone they were way more successful. And I think going in, we thought we were pretty successful because we had done a few deals, right? And you meet people, you know, we met somebody who owned like 150 or 200 rentals, and we're like, wow. Like, but he would share information with us, telling you, like, ask anything you want, and he would help us out. And we kept meeting people like that that had this abundance mindset that were successful, and like, that's what we want to be. That's what we can do. And I think that carried forward. So even when you go through moments like that, it's that mindset is huge. And it just reminds me always too of the of the Jim Rohn quote, where like you're the average of the five people you hang out with the most. Most, 
and it's your income, it's your attitude, it's everything. Yeah. And so make that make that network super positive and, and everybody's contributing and then constantly feed your mind with like positive things that help you grow. And it doesn't have to just be in business. It can be your health, it can be spiritually, it can be whatever. But all those things I think help contribute to really make you successful. So focus on that and then I'll focus on KPIs, your numbers, rate of return, uh, advertising, and just like focusing on the retur- on your return. Like the foundations of the return. Making sure you're doing what, enough marketing to get what you need to get. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, about, do more. And don't have a limited mindset about it. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, because I'm sure you felt like that fourth that you were doing was a lot already. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And you quadruple yeah. it and you're like, we can, we can do, do it. it. Yeah. And you guys crushed it. Yeah. Right. And I just very recently talking to a mutual friend of all of ours, he, you know, and I was trying to give him some advice and he's really hung up on one or two deals that yeah. he has. And it's, he's so hung up and you can tell emotionally he's kind of caught up in these deals because they're not working out for various reasons. And it's really because he has two deals. Yeah. That's, that's all he's got in the funnel. Yeah. And so going back to what Greg said, marketing is a massive piece. Like if you're not looking at enough deals, things become really hard because you're either not making enough money, you get hung up on those two, you can't figure yeah, it out. Yeah. If you have more good leads and you know what to do with, it's gonna work out. Yeah, <laughs> Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, like no yeah. matter what, you can screw up a lot. If you have great deals coming in, you'll probably be okay. Because <clears throat> yeah. then at that point, it's a, num- a numbers game and you're just like, all right, on to the next one. Just, you don't even pay attention to those bad deals. If you get a great deal yeah. on your contract for the right price, you don't need the money. You yeah. don't even really need a buyer's list, especially today as you can throw it on Facebook and do yeah. whatever. It's yeah. like, it's it's easier now if you can get the good deal. And that's why it comes back to marketing. It's way easier than it ever was when we got started. And you can screw everything up in the sales process and still and still do well because as you mentioned, it's just a numbers thing. I, should, I don't wanna say it's just a numbers thing. It can be just a numbers thing and you can do real well. Yeah. But you can also get good at some of the other things and looking at the KPIs, and uh, being getting better at doing sales and acquisitions and things like that, and and really boost your returns that way. Yep. But you can be bad at it as long as you can recognize what a good deal is, mm. and you can be bad at it and still do well. But yeah. it starts with the marketing. Yeah, because see, I came from sales, and that's all they taught you is it's a numbers game. How quickly can you get to the next person? Because right. that can lead to the next sale. And I feel like real estate just ties right into that. Yeah, like you just said, but, double but, it, triple it. I, now, I, I'm not saying that I think it's just a numbers game. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I'm no, saying no. that yeah. it can be just a numbers game and you can do well with just that. You yes. can actually turn it into a not just a numbers game and you'll get that and some more by doing other things. Yeah. Learning how to talk to people and yep. different strategies and, and you know, and it, we're learning all the time too. I mean, we, we've gone a long time without wholesaling houses. And, um, you know, some of the guys that we know that are wholesaling houses are just killing it unbelievable unbelievably uh because of certain ways that they they you know handle the dispositions and things like that on properties and yeah you know we still have a lot to learn yeah which is crazy because you've been in it for 20 years and you still have a lot to learn which a lot of people don't recognize that they they think they already know it all when really they're not half where they should be or can be well, you young guys are coming in and you got all this different different <laughs> new stuff that, you know, you know, Brian Brian's a lot lot more in tune with it than me because he listens to podcasts and reads a lot, things like that. I, I don't. I drink beer. <laughs> I go to the river, I do I just go have fun all the time while he's working. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, he's at the lake house. <laughs> 
No, but um, but yeah, you young guys have have different um, different things that you've kind of learned that we didn't learn that same stuff. Um, so we can, we have some neat strategies and stuff that we could teach you, but you have a lot of a lot of the new stuff that I'll speak for me. Like I don't really know a lot about. I know it exists, some of it, but I don't know a lot about all of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, you're still doing the radio ads. Red door guy, old timey radio. Stuff. Hey, if it works, it works. Yeah, y'all yeah. yeah. wouldn't be doing it if you weren't getting successful. Yeah. So well, people know who we are now. Yeah, it's a big thing. For better or worse, they know. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they I mean, I went into a restaurant to get a, a sandwich today, and, and the guy came out from behind the counter, and he goes, "Hey, is that y'all riding down the road in a, in a white van with a red door on it?" I said, "No, that's the red door van guys." That's not the red door guys. That's the red door van guys. <laughs> but it's just funny. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's crazy how many people like sing the song. Though. It's it's yeah. The, it's oh, it's yeah. become it's become its own thing. Yeah. Well, one, one one funny thing is I might have told you this when you and I had lunch before. Um, but one of the houses we bought not long ago, the uh, I asked the lady. I said, "Well, you know, um, how did you hear about us or whatever?" And, she said, well, you know, we were riding down the road and uh, my husband and I were in the front seat talking about that we need to sell that rental house. And as soon as we said it, our, one of our kids or both of our kids said, y'all need to call the Red Door guys. No way. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and she said that, that they go down the road every time our ad comes on that they're all singing, the kids are singing the song. <laughs> it's crazy how many kids, I've had so many friends and people I've met, like our kids sing your song nonstop. Yeah. We, we tell them to shut up and we'll not stop. <laughs> it is catchy. That's all good. Can we get a live performance? Pick up the phone and call the Red Door guys to buy your home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is all great. Baby, he's genius. He figured it out. No, Brian, that's Brian's stuff. <laughs> well, you notice how I said the most important thing is marketing, and he's the marketing guy. So, so I give him all the props. And if it weren't for him, I wouldn't be here. So, yeah. A broken I don't know why he brings me around. <laughs> you know, we have hijacked. We, we just talked everything about what we want. Not what he's yeah. Yeah. We, what's on your list there? Well, yeah. we kind of covered most of it. We just have a couple segments too. We just want to throw at the end, but I mean, unless if there's anything, any out. other questions or anything, or any other topics you guys want to hit before we start going. Uh, I kind of touched end. on it before, um, and it, I mean, it might be quick, it might be a quick thing. Um, but you guys have done several small like investments before, right? Before you guys really got into real estate, and now you guys are deviating out of it a little bit more and just like trying multiple different things, right? Because yeah. uh, you're diversifying your portfolio. Everybody always talks about diversifying and just like not having all your eggs in one basket. So one uh, one question would be, what does your net worth look like percentage-wise, right? You guys are real estate guys. You guys have been doing it for a really long time. That's the majority of your business. That's how you function. But do, do you have a significant percentage enough outside of real estate that it makes a difference? Or is it like 98% real estate, one percent cash. Like one percent. <laughs> more like that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, maybe ninety percent real estate. Uh, would you agree yeah. with that or no? Mm, I'm probably 65, 70 ish. Really? Oh, okay. So, and now, what is the the rest to get you to the uh, A bunch of different investments that I've done over the last several years. Um, just explored yeah. in that area. Um, you know, one thing we started doing a few years ago is like investing in tax liens. 
So in, in specifically in Mississippi, um, we partnered with somebody kind of, it's not a true partnership. It's really, it's really an investment kind of in a syndicate. We're buying into an LLC that buys tax liens and that just pays you return. And it's, it's a little bit complicated. We can talk about it if you want, but it's, I'll just look at it as a, another real estate syndication deal. Yeah, and then there's, so let me qualify what I said, 65%. I look at all those investments that I'm in. There's a bunch of different syndication deals. Some of them in real estate, some of them outside of real estate. Yeah. So I just look at it as separate from our business sure. real estate because yeah, yeah. they're, they're in different states. They're different. They're commercial properties. They're just very separate. Yeah. And I mean, and there's all kinds of different asset classes that it's in. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, what, what else have we done somewhat creative? Um, I know that, uh, uh, solar thing. Well, that's, it's, I don't look at that the same. I looked at more of as a tax advantage investment. I, we didn't do that for the investment per se. It's not right. a great return, but it's, it's highly tax incentivized, which is good. I mean, just doing some, some syndication deals. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, but I mean, I did a couple of restaurant, uh, syndications here and I are in a, uh, a, a hotel syndication, um, with a friend of ours. That's also an opportunity zone, um, uh, deal as well which is separate from our fund that we started. It's probably another thing y'all might have on your, your list or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, I've done some really small like angel investing of companies. That's been like, that's completely out of real estate and that's oh, fun. Yes. I enjoy that. It's like a little hobby. Um, that's pretty cool. Um, again, Self-storage deals, apartments, and yeah, stocks. Stock this is a stock guy. Stock. Yeah. Yeah. Learn from him. Learn from him. <laughs> yeah. um, but like to, to get in a little bit about what you were trying to say, I think that it's it's a little bit of investment, but you, and, and I'm gonna hijack it again here, Carlos, because sure. it's probably not exactly what you wanted, but after several years, we, we got to where we were making you know decent money. Yeah. And what most people don't understand is most of that, of that, that active income is taxed at ordinary tax rates, yeah, right? Yeah. Which is the highest tax rate you can have. And we started like, hey, we're having success, but we're paying tax bills, we don't really like that. And we just said, well, what are some things we can do? Because we were super ignorant with taxes. I'm still ignorant of taxes. He knows a lot more than I do. But we're like, man, what can we do to not pay taxes? I don't want to say taxes because it eats up so much of your profit. Yeah. So I don't know when we did our first one, but it was probably about nine years ago or something. I think it was 2013. We did our first tax, uh, our historical tax credit deal. Mm, nice. And it was, it, was a, it was just opened up our eyes because what we realized is we've been doing all these rehabs and keeping them, sometimes selling, sometimes keeping them as rentals in historic tax areas in the city and we weren't getting tax credits and we were doing almost the exact same thing there's a few steps that you've got to do they're very important steps but yeah. it's not it wasn't that different than what we were already doing and we look back we're like all these houses we did if we just done a small percentage of them we would not pay taxes for a long time wow and that was just an eye-opening thing like we just looked at ourselves like we're idiots but let's learn from it and start doing tax credits so starting in 2013 we started doing you know a couple a year and we try to continue to do that because it's amazing on how much I mean, you get a dollar for dollar tax credit by just doing what we're already doing for the most part. It saves you a tremendous amount of money yeah, taxes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a huge. dollar saved is not a dollar well, earned, right? Yeah. So, are y'all familiar with the tax credits? And I was actually asking it. To yeah. Tax yeah. Tax credits. Yeah, okay. deeper, a little bit. So, um, so if you spend um, a, a dollar on on uh, qualifying rehab uh, on a historic historic structure and you're doing everything the right way you get i think it's 20 percent of that so for every dollar you get 20 cents uh, of let's just say every hundred dollars you get ten dollars or twenty dollars of historic federal credits 
And when you said dollar for dollar, it's dollar for dollar on, so if you owe $10,000 to the federal, federal or to the IRS, and you have 10,000 in tax credits, you just say, here's my 10,000 in credits, and now you don't owe anything. So that's what he means by dollar for dollar. It's much better than an expense. Most yeah. people have an expense, which just lowers your income, which can lower your tax bracket potentially. Yeah. This yeah. is an actual, you owe a dollar, and you have a dollar credit, totally yeah. washed. Right. Yeah. So, so, 500, you just... so I feel like we're still paying our fair share. We're just yeah. giving them credits as opposed to giving, giving them money. And, you know, that's what the, what the government has set yeah. up for us to help yeah. restore the historic fabric of our country Absolutely. and everything. So we're doing our part to, to do that. Um, another good thing is a great thing is that so for every hundred, let's just say you spend a hundred thousand dollars on a rehab, you get 20 grand in federal credits and you get 25,000 in state credits, at least in the state of Virginia. I don't know what it's like in other states. Yeah. Um, imagine it's the same or it might be different. I don't know. Um, so we've got enough state credits to pay our taxes, state taxes for a very long time. But just to be clear, when you get when you get the taxes, um, you've got to keep the property for five years if you yes. want to get the federal tax credits. Right. So okay. it's 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 a good deal, but you can actually do a fix and flip and get the state tax credits, but you can't get the federal unless you hold it for five years. But you know what? Five years, unfortunately, just goes by like that. Yeah. You yes. know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I was just like looking at some of the houses that we've had uh, for state credits. I mean, for that we have historic tax credits on and uh you know it's like they're getting to a point where they're almost all past the five years now yes. um, but anyway uh so that was that's one thing there, there, there's more stuff that goes along with it it's a little bit more complicated i would say say if someone wants to do it they should find someone in their area who's a uh, historic tax credit consultant who can kind of and we hire one on every job that we do. They kind of go in and they tell our project manager and our, our general contractor everything that needs to be done to, to make that house a you know a qualifying rehab. And that way, and we've never had one turned down ever. In the beginning, I was really worried. I was, yeah. I was like, golly, you know, all these things seem like they have to work out. But as long as you have somebody walking you through the process, you you should be fine. Are you spending more on the rehabs because it? in order for it to qualify sometimes we probably do yeah. um but you know i don't think it's a, for us it's not enough to make a, a difference um it wouldn't deter you from yeah. especially when you get the state credits as well and there's something that's real important that most people don't know completely legal um is that you can also pay another one of your entities to to be a project manager and you can pay another one of your entities to be a developer and those are also uh, you also get tax credits for that as well. And so let's just say it might be another 30% or something like that total mm -hmm. that you spend. So if you spend a hundred grand, you might actually get to get uh, credits as if you spent 130 grand. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, cool. But you also get, you also get to use the interest that you pay on the construction loan. So again, if you spend a oh, hundred grand, you put 30 grand uh, that you pay yourself in different entities, and then also the 20,000 you might have paid in interest and so on and so forth. So it really starts kind of boosting up. Wow. Wow. And can you explain, or do you have any examples of any of those qualifying things? Like do you have to keep the windows and doors? Is yeah. So like if a house, um, if a house uh, needs new siding, you can't put vinyl siding on it. You're going to have to go back with whatever they tell you. And it's going to be probably like, um, what do they call that? The Hardy Plank. Hardy Plank siding. Okay. Um, or the same thing with windows. You, it, 
even if you have or the killer's roofs like a slate roof we had it we had a massive rehab that we did and had a slate roof and it's like we got real lucky we got lucky we got got real lucky on that but that i mean that's again that's like the greatest deal ever by the way but that's all (laughs) that's all <laughs> I got so much from myself. I want to do that, like, even the more we don't have time, but like, the other yeah, depreciation so things we've done is yeah. crazy. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. mention one thing about the depreciation is like, the, the, one of the syndications things is an ATM machine deal. So you, you spend like $104,000 and you buy seven ATM machines and someone manages it for you. There's an agreement there and everything. And you can write off, I think it's 100% in the first year. Right. I'm not a CPA. I just go by what our CPA said. Because <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know. Right? Yeah, Can you so write like this off for sure? Yeah, yeah, so, so like, great. Really? So December yeah. 31st of a few years ago, we it was literally, we were at the same, you know, uh, New Year's Eve function. And we were like, you know, wives are probably irritated with us because we're trying to make sure that the wire went through <laughs> to make sure that we get it in, in, decent, in 2000, whatever, on the last day of the year. Because what happened was we were able to reduce our income, uh, our taxable income by two hundred eight thousand dollars. Hell yeah! You but, know, but we had sold a bunch of properties, rentals, and fix and flips, and so we had this tax bill, and so we were yeah. we were yeah. trying to talk to everybody. I was I was talking to anybody I could, like, how do we save money on taxes? Like it's coming up, like, and so we got a bunch of ideas. Some of them we did, some of them we didn't. Yeah. And it's it's just a cool thing to explore. Yeah, it That's is very cool. cool. Yeah. Money yeah. problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have a quick question on tax credits for the listeners and for me as well. So let's say you have $10,000 in tax credits, but you have a lot of uh, real estate. So you depreciate it and you're basically showing losses. Do you ever, if you keep showing losses, does that 10000 just stay in tax credits until you show yeah, a gain? It's a carry forward. Okay. So just until you show, uh, show a gain, then yep. you use it. Yeah. But okay. you know, the, the federal credits, I think they only last for 10 years and then they go away. Whereas the state, the Virginia state credits, uh, are, are good for, I think, 20 years. Okay. And, and just think, you're probably, and maybe other listeners have the same thing, when you have rentals, you've got that appreciation like yeah. that, you may not be yeah. paying taxes, yeah. but at some point, when you go to sell it, not only are you going to have to pay a capital gain, but you're also going to have that depreciation right. capture, yeah. which it really bites you. It's, it's like, you don't even think about it, you're like, I love it now, I love it now, when you go to sell, not yeah. so much. Right. Yeah. So having credits is great. Yeah. And if you're not expecting a profit, you can sell those tax credits to someone else discounted, is that is that true? It is true. I, I'm not sure about the state. The federal, um, oh. no, that's a reverse. State, you can easily sell. Federal, I, I've heard okay. both. It so, used to be you could sell, but, or he said sell. I think you it's syndicate. syndicate. You syndicate it, yeah. and you so you, were, you get into a syndication uh, agreement, and uh, we've sold them exchange. for... So okay. you, you're part of the syndication in exchange. Well, they're like 70, 76. You might be able to get 80 cents on the dollar. And there's people out there to do it. If someone wants to reach out, we'll be happy to give you our contact. He's, yeah. he's great in helping us and syndicating those. Absolutely. We had way too many credits um, that we couldn't even use. And yeah. so. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. If, if, yeah, because you're depreciating all your real estate, so I assume you get a lot okay. off that, and then on top of all the tax credits. Well, in like, states, your your tax rate is so much lower than your federal tax, so you take, yeah. it's harder to use those up. Right? Yeah, yeah. 